Welcome back to the Security Savings Bank Community Hour on WRAM. It is time to talk about the 26th Annual Wendell Whiteman Memorial Lecture. It's coming up on April 28th at 7 p.m. at the Dahl Chapel and Auditorium on the campus of Monmouth College. This year's lecture will be given by Tim Wells, a 1987 graduate of Monmouth College, and we welcome him to the program this morning. Welcome, Mr. Wells. How are you? Good, good. Did you have to date me back? They're going to think an old man with a crutch is going to come up and talk. <laughs> I doubt it, given your your uh, pursuits. You're in probably pretty good shape, right? <laughs> well, I'm doing the best I can. Well, Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Up with my wife. She makes me look bad on TV. Oh, does she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. Especially if we have to chase something down. I mean, she always outruns me. Does she really? Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, if we get in arguments and stuff, I tease her about, you know, the insurance is still good, and then all I have to do is uh, get her in the face of the dangerous game, and I'll be able to collect. But she reminds me that she can outrun me, and it's usually the guy in the back that gets eaten first. So that's probably not an option. That's true. That's true. <laughs> tell, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get an idea uh, about you and your wife and your ranch in Canton and uh, your your passion there for hunting. Yeah, well, uh, as you said, I graduated from college quite a while back, and but I was a hunter long before before that. At, at, from the time I was uh, walking around with my father and grandpa as a little boy, I hunted and fished, and uh, it was a passion of mine, and I developed it over the years. Uh, you know, backing up, I'll, speaking of Monmouth College, I remember I had a big buck hanging off uh, – my dorm room, uh, there was an awning out over the front of the dorms, and I strung that big whitetail buck up on that uh, that awning uh, right outside my dorm room. And I remember the dean of students came up to the room, knocked on the door, and when he opened the door, I knew I was in trouble. But instead, he wanted to get his picture with me and the buck hanging <laughs> off. So times have definitely changed. But anyway, uh, I followed my passion after college. I, I graduated with a business degree, but, uh, you know, I went to work for a few companies and realized that I, I was more of an entrepreneur than uh, working for someone else. And I started in in, in, a, in a field that, that was very fuzzy for me, which was conservation. And I uh, started an environmental consulting firm out of college, and that went really well. And I sold it, uh, you know, four or five years down the line and, and have followed the the entrepreneuring with everything from gas stations to cosmetology school to now I have a national television show I've run for 20 some years and all I do is travel and hunt and fish and uh, I use primitive weapons uh, you know for my pursuits I use a blowgun that I make myself called the viper blowgun and I make a spear that I call the saber tooth spear and I hunt African animals to Texas fur hog to whitetails, you name it, uh, taking all kind of big game animals, and I attach cameras to them and so forth, and it's it's made our production one of the most watched hunting shows in the world. Yeah, the show you're referring to is on the Sportsman Channel. It's called Relentless Pursuit. Is that correct? Yep, yep. It's uh, won more uh, more awards than any show in the hunting industry, and we're we're very proud of uh, you know where the show's taken us over the past years, and I. Sydney and my son Clint and my wife Carrie all are, are, you know, they're the superstars of the show, and I help them best I can. 
Oh, good. They get to be a part of it. That's a great. How great is your career when you get to spend it with your family and doing what you guys love best, which is to, to go out there and see the countryside, see other countries and hunt with with the primitive uh, primitive style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. I don't, I don't have any right to complain other than I, I'm gone for weeks, sometimes months at a time, and not home to see my family. But outside of that, I've lived a pretty good life. If uh, a lion kills me tomorrow, I I won't have any complaints when I get to the pearly gates. <laughs> and of course, the award you were talking about, I do believe, is the prestigious Golden Moose Award, which I I think you've won six years in a row for best outdoor host. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And. That's, Absolutely, it was uh, it was a uh, quite a deal. I got right before President uh, uh, Trump was uh, elected. He was speaking in Vegas, and uh, I had the one of those awards. I don't remember fourth or fifth, but anyway, they asked me to come on stage, and I'll never forget walking on stage right behind uh, President Trump. You know, that was uh, I would have to say that was the highlight of my uh, my career as an outdoor host at that point in time i recognized that we had really accomplished some amazing things and you're also an author as well tim yeah but that's no uh you know no compliments to my spelling and grammar but i got <laughs> through books and they did really well we're in third printing of uh, a demon in the dark it's a story about a man in 2040 that has to fight poachers in Africa to save the last white rhino. And I encourage anybody that likes uh, action, adventure, love stories, uh, and maybe want to see in the mind of a hunter, that's a good book. Yeah, I've even heard there's talk that it may develop into uh, a movie as well down the road. Yeah, we're really excited about the possibilities that are happening with the book. Yeah, tell us what the book's about. I mean, you gave a a very quick uh, sentence synopsis, but give us a paraphrase about it. Um, The book was, you know, written based on experiences that I've had in Africa, and I envision what's to come in the future for the African animals as the, you know, liberal society is against hunting and the impact that has had on hunt hunt on the animals in Africa is very detrimental to them. And so um, it's a prediction, but maybe, you know, it, it's, you know, it's in my mind what could happen. And I think a lot of people will agree with it when they read the book, but it's more of a story about a man who uh, um, is, is a hunter in Africa and is a wealth, wealthy man that goes through a, a third world war and the, the rhinos are being poached to the point extinction as well as the bat uh the uh, the gorilla and he he strives to save them and to do that he has to go to war with with the uh, poachers in in the jungle and during that book there's a lot of hunts in there that are renditions of hunts that i've already been on with primitive weapons and uh the the lead character in, in of, of the book is uh a primitive hunter, and he uses primitive weapons to fight the poachers. He's silent and deadly in the in the dark, and they they nicknamed him the Demon in the Dark because of their fear of the uh, Bryn Skiles. Yeah, sure. And and the primitive weapons, and you described to me off the air what a blowgun is, or a blowgun rather, uh, very unique and interesting. What drew you to that style of hunting? Uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, why I my love for primitive hunting, but uh, there came a point in my life where, you know, just bow hunting or using a gun became redundant, and the challenge was 
not really what I was looking for because I, it, it wasn't just challenge wasn't there for more. So as I moved on to spears and blowguns, there's a point where you have to get so close to an animal that you can practically smell his breath. And once you can become a hunter that's good enough to kill as the wild animal, you know, predators like a coyote or a, a, you know, a lion or leopard, do you have to get that close to your prey to kill them? And at that point it becomes, uh, you know, quite an accomplishment to feel you can throw a spear and, and bring home the meat, or you can, you know, use your blowgun and kill a black bear, you know, these kind of things. Uh, it's very challenging, and uh, but yet really rewarding. And I feel good about you know, being able to harvest animals with primitive weapons because it's very ethical. It gives the animal a chance, and uh, it hones your skill. And I feel like once you can do that, you become the best hunter you can be. Sure. Plus, you don't get a mouthful of buckshot when you eat it, right? Well, that, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, all the animals that I kill... Uh, with my primitive weapons are killed with uh, blades. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no bruising. There's no residue of lead. There's there's nothing like that. I mean, even if I shoot a turkey next week with my arrow that goes through his breast, I can wash out the blood and, and save it, salvage every bit of the meat. Okay. We're talking with uh, Tim Wells. He's an 87 graduate of Monmouth College. He'll be giving the a lecture coming up for the 26th annual Wendell Whiteman Memorial Lecture on April 28th at Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. What, uh, what's your, your lecture going to be about this year, Tim? Well, we'll try to keep it, uh, you know, as funny as possible and, and lighthearted, but we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the history of uh, myself with Relentless Pursuit and talk about entrepreneuring a little bit and things that the students there are striving to accomplish and how they can correlate a little bit of my success with social media as well as television and YouTube and so forth and uh, give them a little history of the school of hard knocks and they can apply it to their if they want and laugh at me a little bit or maybe (laughs) cry. We'll just decide. I'm probably not going to have a script written down and who knows where it'll take us. Generally, when I speak at a college or an auditorium full of young people, they're going to have their moment at the end where they can heckle me or ask some questions. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if they think, um, in a way, I wonder how many of them think that they'd like to go with you on one of these hunts, you know what I mean, <laughs> or on the on the television program and be a guest. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'd call it uh, a pretty scary moment to, to get that close. I mean, when you, you're talking about getting so close to an animal, you could smell its breath. How scary? Do you get scared, Tim? Absolutely. You know, I've had, uh, you know, poison snakes in my face and uh, Cape Buffalo chasing me. I had an elephant chase me for 100 yards through the brush. I was a lot more active at that time 15 years ago. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty heart-raising. And I can tell you when a wild animal or a poisonous snake or, uh, you know, a leopard or a lion or these kind of animals uh, are uh, in your safe zone, I mean, it dra- it raises your adrenaline to a, a crazy level. And w- when when that all goes away, and you realize that okay, you're out of the danger, there's a eufo- a sense of euphoria that comes over your your body and your mind. Uh, you're at the height of your most alertness at that at that moment. It's a natural. Uh, 
I would say not a drug, but it's a, it's a natural enhanced euphoria that you experience for a few moments after the fear subsides and the adrenaline is still in your body. I experienced that maybe, you know, a dozen times in my life. I remember one time that a, a water buffalo in uh, Australia uh, charged me and ran right over me. And uh, when he did that, uh, I had snuck up behind him with my spear. He was walking away from me with his huge body. I knew that his peripheral vision was blocked, so I came in directly behind him. I was barefooted, and I had my spear cocked to throw. And when I got a couple yards behind his body, I figured any moment he would hear or sense my presence. And when he turns, I would throw the spear and and through his vitals. But but that 2,000-pound animal spun so fast I was in disbelief because I started to throw when he turned on me, but he swapped in so fast that by the time I had released the spear of his vitals, he had totally swapped in, and the spear hit him in the horn and stuck in his horn. Oh, my. Which obviously non-fatal or didn't even, didn't even hurt him. And so at that point, he turned and came at me. And when he did that, you know, I tried to run, but I fell down, and he ran right over the top of me. Oh, he my. Over me. He ran right on past me and kept going. Uh, so You're one lucky stood, duck. Yeah, I was lucky. And uh, and uh, when I stood up and realized I was alive, I, it was uh, euphoric. And the same with when I had a, the elephant chase me, and same when I had a black mom uh, rise out of the rocks just a couple feet in front of my face. Um, these kind of moments, uh, you, you know. How do you, how do you not panic? How do you know what to do, whether to to flee or fight or st- stand still, or how do you know what to do in those moments? When the when the buffalo ran over, I, I was running for my life. I fell down. So whatever you're you're if you're thinking what I did was a smart thing, no, I was just trying to get away and got run over and live through it. That's all it is. Right. Wow. <laughs> and you said a black. Did you say mamba? Is that a snake? Yeah, it's a deadly. Oh. It kills probably more Africans than any other snake in Africa. It's between that and the cobra. I haven't done my research, but I know the mamba kills many, many Africans. You don't last long after you get bit. And how big is a mamba? They're not real big around, but they're really long. Okay. And they're what right- did you do when that sucker rose up and there it was right in front of you? Well, you know, I'll probably talk about that uh, at mamba. So if oh. anyone come, I'll talk a little bit about these encounters and... And uh, it's it's pretty hair raising. Oh, I bet, I bet. And that's coming mm-hmm. up on April twenty eighth. If you want to find out what happened between Tim and the Black Mamba, obviously, Tim, you're here, so we're thank God you're safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still around. And you've been rolling along through the countryside uh, here in the United States as well. What's been one of your most? Uh, what do you? Where do you like to hunt the most, or is it pretty even and spread out uh, throughout the country? A beautiful country to see when it comes to hunting. Well, I really enjoy any hunt that includes my my son and daughter, and and that's rare for me. But my daughter now works for uh, Barstool Outdoors, which uh, all the college students will know who that mm-hmm. is, Barstool Sports. And uh, she does their outdoor division. So that affords me the opportunity to spend a lot of time traveling with Sydney and gathering video. And any hunt that includes uh, Sydney or, or Clint. Now, Clint is graduating and going on to law school, so his time is consumed. And But the, the times that we get together are precious. And, you know, those are always my first pick. But when you talk about animals, I really like Argentina. I like the bow hunt birds down there. And I, 
I love Africa and North America here. I would say spear hunting grizzly bear was really exciting and I enjoyed it. But if there was only one animal I could chase my whole life, it would probably be coyotes because there's uh, there's quite a challenge to take a, a coyote with primitive weapons. They are of all hunting all over the world. They are one-on-one they are the keenest and smartest animal that i've hunted we just have so many of them that everybody can kill one if you put some time and effort in but if there was only one and you had to hunt him in the woods just that one coyote it'd be a tough challenge to get him oh yeah yeah i remember coyotes where i grew up in arkansas back when our we had timber all around uh my home and you'd, you know the beagles would wake us up when the coyotes were encroaching upon you know coming onto our property oh, yeah. and boy they are sure. loud at night <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's yeah, scary. Incredible animal, very uh, pro- proficient hunters and uh, prolific at staying alive no matter how much persecution on them. They just, they're here to stay like the wild hogs. You know, you're so right because you, you go anywhere in the in the nation with new housing developments and projects and guess what? There's there's coyotes right, right there still hanging on. Yeah, I just posted a, a photograph of a coyote with a, a small uh, house dog in his mouth uh, with with its collar on on my uh, relentless pursuit Facebook page, uh, referring to you know uh, anti hunters how they despise me and, and it's a constant attack uh, you know monthly they'll they'll raise a new attack and and try to run me off the the social media platforms but. <laughs> Every once in a while, I like to throw something like that up there to remind them that hunting serves a good purposes in in all situations. Well, and there's hunting also. I mean, if you think about it, just take Illinois, for example. A lot of folks harvest deer for the table. It's food. You know, it's it's something that's a, a great choice of lean protein. And plus, you know, they can be very dangerous on the roads. And, and that's why we talk about uh, harvesting deer, especially, you know, when the fields are opened up. Uh, it's important that, that there's not too many uh, deer causing problems on the roadways, too. Well, if you took the hunters out of the world, there would be very few animals left. Conservation is... Uh, uh, urban sprawl with with the with the human growth and and so forth is what consumes the the nesting and livelihood of animals. And with hunters, our conservation, we contribute more to wildlife restoration, the habitat, ducks unlimited to the Rocky Mountain elk, the wild turkey, uh, Yellowstone Park. These are all attributed to hunting and hunters who cared enough to dedicate their their lives or dedicate you know a portion of their incomes we donate we preserve and we conserve and uh without hunters you know there would be very little wildlife to enjoy and people just don't realize that and africa is a prime example where they they stop hunting in sections of africa inside of um a year or two poaching takes over and the animals are gone. Yeah. We see a lot about uh, poachers. It's too, it's too bad. Cause that is such a challenge, uh, you know, do it the right way, right? That That's yep. what you need to do. Do it the right way. Yeah. And then the places where hunting is legal, there's a huge value on those animals that are being poached. So the money from hunting and the, the millions, if not billions of dollars that's spent annually on hunting a uh, portion of that is um, goes back to the people that manage and own the land 
where the animals live. So the last thing they want to do is see the population dip. So they use a portion of the money that they earn for guiding or permit sales, licensing. That money goes back into conservation, goes back into anti-poaching, and and, uh, they protect the animals because, yeah, there's a hunter coming, but he may pay $25,000 to spend a week on your property and hunt all the big game species. And it's just like raising cattle. If there was no cattle and there was no value on their heads, then there'd be no more cattle in the pasture. And we are farming animals in the, in the wild. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can go on the neighbor's property uh, by, by my farm. They're non-hunters and there's no brush along the timber where animals can nest there's no food left standing in the winter where the deer can feed, but you cross my fence and there's duck boxes in the trees where the ducks can nest. There's ponds in the valleys where the beaver and the, the animals can drink and there's standing corn in the dead of winter where the deer can survive harsh elements. There's, there's grasses growing along the edge of the field where the neighbor would have corn instead in the summer, but instead in my place, the, the pheasants, the rabbits, and the wild turkeys have a place to rear their young. It's all because of my love for hunting, and that's the way it works around the world. And those people that dis- despise hunting and despise hunters and don't like trophy hunters or don't like the fact that we take life are mass murdering uh, the the wild populations where they eliminate hunting. And shame on them for not doing due diligence to look into it. And it works the same way with fishermen. You know, fishermen protect the waters that they fish. They contribute their money for fishing license and, and the money that they pay to outfitters and guides to fish. That goes back into conservation, and it provides, you know, uh, safe haven for the future for our wild our wild kingdom and as well you know that's why i'm a spokesman and an ambassador for bass pro and cabela's because that's their emphasis the owners are friends of mine and their love for the wildlife uh is greater than their love of hunting uh because you know they are concerned about the future generations of children growing up that want to experience you know the outdoors and hunt and fish and they pour their money into conservation. So um, I can't defend hunting and fishing more because I love animals uh, and I love the wildlife. And I want, I want it to always be there for future generations. Absolutely. That's what we call environmental uh, sustainability and stewardship, right? Absolutely. We're talking with Tim Wells. And uh want to remind folks that you can hear more from him at the Wendell Whiteman Memorial Lecture. It's coming up on April 28th, 7 o'clock. And also, Tim, for those listening that may want to, to tune in to your channel, to the Relentless Pursuit uh, program, how do we do that? Well, uh, you can watch me on YouTube. You can watch the highlights of all the hunts that I, I go on. There's hundreds of clips on there. Most are primitive hunting clips. And uh, that's at Tim Wells Bowhunter, my channel. It, uh, it's, you can stream it, live, obviously, on your, uh, on your television. But if you want to watch my actual Relentless Pursuit TV show that airs three or four times a week, it's on the Sportsman's channel. So if you jump on the Sportsman's channel, if you're on DirecTV, that's channel 604, I believe. Okay. One channel, outdoor channel, and you can jump on there and pull up their menu out uh, and uh, – but the easiest way to watch Tim Wells is just Google Tim Wells, and you will have a thousand uh, 
directions you can go when it pops up on your, your Google search. Okay, sounds good. It was great catching up with you. It sounds like you have really done very well for yourself in pursuing your passions, but turning that into your livelihood and having an opportunity to include your family. That's just wonderful, Tim. Yeah, I can't wait to, to, to return to Mammoth College. I, uh, you know, I went to uh, Spoon River College, and I went to Olivet prior to finishing there at Mammoth, and Mammoth was definitely uh, the shining star for me. I, I uh, appreciate what I uh, experienced at Monmouth College and the, the teacher and the teachers and the staff and uh, Terry Haynes and all of them. You know, they were a, a, a huge factor. And my track coach, Hainsey, uh, who I believe is still the administrator, they're the, the uh, athletic director there, um, gave me my, my javelin uh, when I left school. And that javelin uh, basically, you know, put me through school, uh, scholarship, uh, Spoon River, and and uh, and then on into Monmouth College. At the time, you couldn't get an athletic scholarship, but the schools have ways of figuring out how to get you through it, you know. And and it did. And I I threw the the javelin in college, and he gave me that 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 uh, javelin. He, he knew I loved to hunt, and I told him, I said, "Well, Terry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hunt with this beer, and, and the first animal I get, I'm gonna let you know." Well, a uh, little over a year after leaving college, I, my dad had put a, uh, a spear point on the head of the uh, javelin, and uh, I went to Texas and speared a huge boar with it, and sent Terry a, a message said, "I got her done, buddy." And actually, that was uh, uh, the beginning of my spear hunting career, and. Uh, it all, it all went back to Monmouth College. No kidding. That's a funny story. It's a good story. And you know you know, a person graduated in the 80s or early 90s when you're calling uh, A.D. Roger Haynes Hainsey, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just how, how it is. <laughs> all yeah. right, Tim. Fantastic talking to you, sir. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I look forward to meeting everybody. And uh, if you're a hunter or a or an Olivet or a Monmouth College graduate and uh, – you want to come up for a few hours and, and, and join me, I'd sure appreciate you making it out to the event. And we can, after we can talk and enjoy hunting stories or whatever it might be. Okay. That is Tim Wells. He'll be giving the 26th annual Wendell Whiteman Memorial Lecture on April 28th at 7 p.m. Author, as well as social media sensation, as well as prestigious Golden Moose Award, six years running and host of the outdoor series Relentless Pursuit on the Sportsman's Channel. We'll be back with more on WREM.